the cut and thrust is if you're not being a dick about what you're doing with data, then you're generally okay. And if you can show good intent that you're not trying to deceive people and you're trying to comply, then the ICO or whoever comes breathing down your neck will be understanding. Welcome to Commerce Minded, the podcast where we go behind the scenes to talk with the people who make e-commerce tick, brought to you by Foster Commerce. I'm Stephen Callender, and I'll be your host. My guest this week is Pete Evely of More Soda, which is an agency out of Bath in the UK. Pete and I, we uh, had, I think, a really fun conversation, and uh, we talked about their clients. They they do some amazing work with some craft commerce builds, a lot of custom things. We talked about the things that they've been doing in that regard, and they uh, have some interesting things in the works as well. Some some really large stuff, and so uh, it's just fun getting to know Pete, and she's just one of the uh, developers who's active as well in the Slack channel. So offering insights and putting out there things he's working on. Uh, but we get into this fun conversation about GDPR. So if GDPR is on your mind and you've been wondering about thoughts on it, uh, you can listen to us kind of pitch our ideas on GDPR, especially even around abandoned carts emails. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just really a fun conversation and got to learn his taste of music right away. So um, without further ado, let's get to know Pete and chat GDPR. So I was looking up your, your profiles. Are you in, am I pronouncing this correctly, Gloucestershire? Yeah, I, I live in Gloucestershire. I live in the city of Gloucester, that your city of Gloucester was named after. And I work in Bath, which is about 50 miles away. 50 miles? Yeah, more so to are based in Bath. That is a journey. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's like an hour, hour and a, well, it can be an hour on a good day, um, up to two hours. <laughs> We already live very different lives right away. So. Yeah, well, I, I don't go in every day. We're a team that we have a central office and there are always people there, but then we've got other people who are in and out. So I work remote some of the week. There's another guy who works remote some of the week. We've got uh, Steve, who you may know from Slack, Steve Holland. Um, he's up in uh, Leeds, which is, I think, probably about 200 miles away. <laughs> he doesn't come into the office. Um, we've even got our project support coordinator uh, Freya and she's currently living in France so she's down in near the Pyrenees somewhere <laughs> so you're a hybrid you're a hybrid of remote and local uh, employees yeah yeah but well basically nobody that works for the company lives in Bath <laughs> everybody commutes in because it's, it's it's just so expensive to live in Bath anyway I think Joe might be the closest I think he's probably about I think he's 13 miles out or something like that so what's the journey and so when you do go in What's your transportation? What and what? What are you seeing? Like, what are you doing on the journey? Like, what's that like for you? I listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I better get some more episodes going. I listen to the podcast or or a podcast. There's a thing called Dev Mode FM. You might have heard of. I listen to that one, but generally, I just put the uh, my phone on shuffle, so it's got a an eclectic mix of um, folk music through to uh, doom metal. <laughs> That's a that's a wide range. It's doom metal. So if, if I wanted to get a taste of doom metal, like what what, what should I listen to? Oh god, I don't. Know. I've I've only recently got into doom metal. I've always been into uh, sort of loud music, but there's a YouTube channel called Stoned Meadow of Doom, 
<laughs> and an, another one called 666 Mr. Doom, which I think is the same guy. And he just publishes albums, basically. <laughs> so I stick those on. I'll just go through those during the day when I'm working. I like a lot of instrumental stuff. And so there's a lot of sort of heavy, psychedelic, instrumental kind of things on there. So it's quite nice in the background, you know. I wonder how many people would say that. So if I, if I put on... <laughs> So I so I actually have so I have a Spotify playlist like I listen to Spotify all the time. I've kind of gone more to like the more mellow kind of folksy stuff, not too folksy, but kind of indie, whatever. Yeah, generic, I'll right? to some of that as well. <laughs> but, but I do have I do have a playlist called Steaming Teapot. I don't know why I called it that, but it's when I'm mad. <laughs> so if I'm really upset and I need to listen to the heavy stuff, so it's certainly not doom metal, but it's my like heavy well, hitting. Well, I, I call it doom metal. It's probably not doom metal. It's kind of a mixture of actually the one that the one that got me into it is if you search for five hours of relaxing psychedelic space rock, it's, it's a five hour track on YouTube, just a mix of various things, and the I kind of really enjoyed putting that on. I put that on, start working, and you know, like when you get in the zone and before you know it, it's the end of the day. Yeah, you know, I, I put that on, start working, and then it'd finish. And I think that was five hours long, and I've just listened to the whole thing. So, okay, so that's my question. So, being unfamiliar with this genre of music specifically that you're kind of even talking about, right? So, like, my impression is that a lot of that stuff that when I think of like heavy hitting stuff is not relaxing. So, the fact that there's five hours of relaxing. Well, this is more, I call it doom out. This is, this is actually described as space rock. So it's psychedelic space rock. So it's, you know, a bit trippy, maybe not, yeah. not noisy and hard, but just maybe a bit loud or a bit sludgy is a good word. I think sometimes. All right. We'll have to look up some samples and put those in the, the show notes or, okay. All right. So on your journey, you're popping in your phone and you're listening to stuff, possibly some psychedelic heavier things yeah <laughs> is public transportation are you on public transportation then on the train no i'm driving i used to work for another company in bath and i would get the training every day which takes about the same amount of time but you totally lose control over your journey which is nice sometimes and it, it was nice to get on the train in the morning and you'd have like an hour hour and a half to just relax not do anything it was impossible to work on there because the train was too crowded or so you know you'd just be sitting there looking out the window or listening to something Ah, gotcha. And that was quite good, but you kind of lose that thing. And it means like, I've got to be at the station at 10 minutes past six to get the train home, or I'm stuck there for an hour, another hour, if I miss, you know, and you only get so many chances to get the train back. So that was okay. But I thought now I'll driving because it, it ends up costing about the same and I'm in control of it. And it means if I want to stay in the office and work a bit longer, I can do that. And I haven't got to worry about the needing to rush off to catch a train. Yeah. Yeah. How many times a week are you actually going in? Two or three times a week at the moment. Okay. And so you never know who's going to be there when you get there? Yeah, we've got set days when we're going to be in. So we try and have two days a week when everybody's in the office, except for Steve and Freya. So we're we're all there and we can thrash things out. And then we've got the ubiquitous Slack channel as well for when we're not in the office. So yeah, it works quite well. It's working really nicely. So I was looking up Gloucestershire as well. And... It looks very pretty. Is are you like surrounded by tourists or do you Oh <laughs> Gloucester, you'd be hard pushed to describe it as pretty, but it's a nice enough city. It's a small city. It's famous for the cathedral, which has been used for filming things like Harry Potter. They do a fair bit of movie film in there. 
but it's not very scenic. But the surrounding area is really nice. You know, there's there's a forest not far away. There's rolling hills. My drive to work is, you know, even though I'm on the motorway, you know, there's fields either side and it's just nice. Bath is kind of off the beaten track a little bit for a city. Both Bath and Gloucester were founded by the Romans, basically. So, um, you know, they're really old cities and Bath is absolutely rammed with tourists all the time. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you, you can be sitting there and there's, there's lines of people going past following a tour guide and open top buses all the time. And, you know, it is tourist capital. <laughs> it's the place to go, it seems. <laughs> Man, like, is that something where it becomes, I don't know, you just know that the, the places to avoid or is it just kind of unavoidable? Just kind of it's a, unavoidable, absolutely. Yeah. Well, our, our offices, we used to be in an office up by um, a really sort of popular tourist destination called Royal Crescent, which is just a big crescent of Georgian houses. And we were on a street that led to that. So the bus had come past our office window and you'd just get loads of things. But that was a little bit out of the center. But now we've moved into um, some shared office space right in the center which is great because, you know, if you want something, you just nip out and go to the shop and buy a coffee or, you know, get your lunch or whatever. But it means that you cannot avoid the tourists. <laughs> we're right by the Abbey. We're right by the Guildhall. We're <laughs> uh, right in a shopping street. So there's no end of tourists around. For your your work at More Soda, you are the technical director, right? Yes, I am. How long have you been doing that? just over two years now i think I, you know i can't i'm not entirely certain it's definitely over two years and it's not as long as three years it's probably about two and a half years yeah two and a half years we're pretty solid team haven't changed much how many of you are there there are eight of us all together so eight for more soda or eight on the technical side eight for the whole of more soda perfect okay before you got there, so obviously if you've been there for like just two years or so, have you always been in custom dev world or? Yeah, my background is um, I I went to art school and I was doing fine arty stuff and I was interested in sculpture and 3D design. So on the course I was doing, I got into 3D modeling using a computer. Yeah, I really like doing this. You know, this is fun. And when I then went on to go to the next educational establishment i found a course uh which was designed for electronic media so i thought hey this sounds just like what i want to do and i wasn't too sure exactly where i wanted to go but uh, i ended up there and it, it was really it was a graphic design course more than anything and i kind of got into that side of things and then from there went to work for a mac support company because i couldn't find a job anywhere <laughs> and they set up a repro company so i was working in repro graphics and in print, doing print artwork, got into print artwork, working in design agencies and marketing agencies. And then from there, got into doing some web. And it basically grew from there. So I sort of moved on doing basic HTML sites to learning a bit of PHP and MySQL and gradually moved forward, wrote my own CMS like everyone does, and decided <laughs> that was a bad idea. <laughs> there are still sites that are using it. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who went through that well, yeah, I think it's a rite of passage, isn't it? It's, yeah. You do it and you learn why you shouldn't do it. It's no good someone just telling you you shouldn't do this. It's kind of, you think, well, hang on, this is actually really hard. <laughs> Knocking something up really quick is easy. Knocking something up that's really robust 
and isn't going to break and is secure and you learn about all these other things oh security yeah that's the thing i hadn't thought about <laughs> and, and they were lo- you know they're low traffic sites and they might get like one visitor a week i think something like that but you you learn from it i will say this so the developers who who i know you know who share that story of like hey yeah i tried to to build a cms you know back in the day and honestly like i'm running through the list in my head of people who i know have said that to me i've respected all of them you know, <laughs> oh, I can break that. Yeah, print it out. It's a, it's like <laughs> there's a problem solving aspect to it that I think it's somewhat essential for a quality developer. You know, that to have that mindset of, you know, even a slight arrogance. You know, to say like, I think it was more just lack of seeing the bigger picture. You know, not having the experience because I'm, I'm self taught. I did um, computing A level, but it didn't really teach me much than I, well it's obviously taught me things going forward but it wasn't really something that i carried into my future career so i thought i've got a kind of affinity with computers and can build something i tried to build something modular so i could i need a contact form so i drop in the, the contact form bit and i wrote an e-commerce shopping cart but it was from there that i kind of realized well this this isn't any good and i had a double with wordpress kind of gone with that for a while and then sort of moved to Expression Engine. I thought, hey, this is great. I love Expression Engine. And I've for years, I've been a huge advocate of Expression Engine. Loved it. And that's how I ended up at More Soda, really. Uh, More Soda has always been an Expression Engine shop. And Joe asked me to come on board to help with that side of things. As We've got a bunch of legacy Expression Engine sites. We haven't built, I don't think we've built a new Expression Engine site for a while, but... It's taking care of all that stuff, you know. And then we started working with Craft not long after I started working there. That's kind of where we're going now. That Craft is what we like, you know. It uh, just seems to tick all the boxes for us at the moment. What are the boxes when you're looking at building a site, like from your technical side? I think mainly it's there are two main things. One, it's nice to work with. Um, from a developer point of view, you can extend it fairly easily from like just the straight out of the box functionality is great. You can do pretty much anything with it then, as, as I'm sure you know. It's So you're it's on par with your the CMS that you built, I'm sure, right? It's almost the level. It's getting there. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah. So you can do a lot, lot with it out of the box and it's nice to work with. The Personally, I found Twig to be amazing. I love Twig. And I'm doing things with Twig that I really shouldn't do with Twig. And for people who don't know, if you're if, if there's like merchants or anything listening, like Twig is the it's basically like the template language, the thing that that renders to put it simply, pulls your the database information that all the content that's in you know the system and then helps to connect it to the to the user interface that you see on their public facing. So it's just like Twig is is what kind of connects the dots between your data and then what you see on the site. So, yeah, and coming from Expression Engine with with Expression Engine's templates and language, which I at the time I loved, Twig is like the next level. So you can do some more programmy things with it. It's like a lightweight programming language in a way. You can include logic in the templates that make sense. <laughs> it's logical, <laughs> but then you know you've also got the way craft has been structured that we can easily add functionality when we need it that's the real winner for us from our point of view from a 
the client's point of view. They also find the uh, control panel to be very nice to use. The author experience is, you know, I think it's great. I've, I've seen some talk recently that, you know, that's this the thing we're going to push that forward next. That's the that's the next thing that Pixel and Tonic are, are working on. But they've done a great job already, so I'm not complaining at all. And we've, we've got clients that have found that they can work with it with minimal, if any, training. I think Jeremy Dalder was saying that on one of your previous episodes. He's had to give minimal training to staff. They can just hit the ground running. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the things I was about to ask you because I, I did a training yesterday. So one of our clients, they hired some new people to manage the, their content. So I had to do a training session with them. And how did that go? I mean, it was just a fun conversation because they're instantly just relieved. You know, to see it. <laughs> so, and I'll be honest. So it's not a site that we built. So somebody else built it and it's not a site I'm impressed with the way it's built, to be honest. Uh, so did we so, build it? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you after no, no it's uh it's, i won't say who but um it was an older build and so it probably didn't even have all the features that you can have now but anyways like for them it was still a relief like it's not even the most efficient build um or even the most flexible i mean for them they were they walked away and they're like oh wow this is great thank you you know so it was really simple um, and just very intuitive and more than anything, we just, it's very, very fast. So just kind of do it. So, I mean, we've had the experience of, especially cause we came from expression engine uh, world as well. And so our, our training sessions and our training times and our training docs, I don't have a, a real percentage on it, but I mean, it is significant how much less training we, we need to do. And, um, it seems like that's a common experience for a lot of people who have, who have, yeah, also a lot of it is down to how someone has constructed that site i think it's quite difficult with craft to make a real tangle you certainly can but a savvy developer will you know really think through how that content is structured and how the you know something we always try and do at more soda is, is well how is the client going to manage this site if it gets too complicated then they'll be put off the entire platform <laughs> You've got to think about how you, how you're going to build those fields, how you're going to uh, construct the your content blocks, or how you're going to organize your products to make it easy for them to work with. Yeah, we went through a phase of Morsoda where we picked up so many sites from other developers or agencies that either had gone out of business or needed to hand over to somebody else because the site was growing beyond their means. And there are so many ways you can do things. Uh, what you were saying then about you weren't necessarily impressed with how it had been put together. I think everyone does everything differently, and it's just a matter of getting into the mindset of how someone has done it. You know, I've been working with stuff recently that this is just—it's just so far removed from the way that we at More Soda work. But I kind of think, yeah, well, that's quite good. That's, you know, there's some things in there how how it was done have made me think about well, how do we work, and can I roll some of that into to what we're doing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a nice learning experience, but it does go to show the flexibility that's there within, you know, the inherent flexibility within craft and commerce that means that people can do things in a myriad of different ways. Yeah, I think you're dead on. I mean, it's exactly, in talking even specifically about commerce, it exposes the, the value of commerce for businesses who have a unique workflow or, you know, something unique along the way, whether it's a workflow in their checkout process that, you know, an off the shelf system can't handle, 
you know, or their products are structured or categories are structured in a certain way. Even just so the in the previous episode too with with VJ um, and him talking about his experience with Magento and and how they would have to hack it and break it and I haven't got that far into the uh, into that one yet. <laughs> I've yeah. only listened to half of it so far. <laughs> yeah, he he dives into it and kind of those things and like how I was even expecting him to say that craft you know they had to like create some plugins to to fit it as well and I was like is that is that weird and it's like no it fit perfectly within the core. Yeah. One of the notes I made prior to this conversation, I'm trying to think, well, what, what are we going to talk about, was the fact that I don't think I've ever worked on an e-commerce site that hasn't got some weirdness about it. There's no such thing as a straightforward e-commerce site. You know, the very first one that I ever did was with a product called Zencart. I don't know if you know that or heard of that. And it was for a guy that was selling wine, and he had this idea you know he's selling wine online great but he wanted to do like mixed boxes of wine which doesn't sound so unusual but it was a real struggle to make that work <laughs> i sometimes joke when, when we get a new project oh can we please have you know can we have one where it's selling three different types of t-shirts in two colors and they're all the same size or something <laughs> like that you know rather than oh yeah we've got this weird thing we want to do with shipping or tax or just general weirdness it's all essential to a business every business is different everyone's got their own ways of doing things and it's great to be able to have a site that you can fit into that rather than them having to fit around the site and i think that's the key thing with uh, commerce and i mean that's the gap that it fills in the market right so because the the simple t-shirt with two variants and stuff i mean that's there's other off-the-shelf systems that are going to be extremely affordable for people to to use because it fits into the standard mold that obviously uh, an off-the-shelf system if it's trying to appeal to the masses then you know the standard ones so then we get we get the challenging ones you know we get the yeah the well, unique the, the ones where you've got to integrate with uh, some back office erp that's something we did fairly recently and i'm just starting another one now <laughs> Yeah, so you've built some. How many how many craft commerce sites have you built so far? I was trying to top them up this morning. I think it's like four or five in commerce, and we've also inherited another one. But none of them have been simple. They've all got some oddness. Like the very first one that we did was selling carbon offsetting services. <laughs> well, you don't know about this one. I haven't told you about this one. <laughs> Because I kind of forget that it's commerce because to be, the commerce part is quite a small part of it. And it's basically a site that our client is a carbon offsetting company. They run projects around the world to reduce carbon emissions. So that might be stuff like planting forests or providing lower pollution cooking stoves to people and things like that. You know, it could be all sorts of things. And basically companies, their clients can go to them and say, well, I've produced this much CO2. We're going to invest money into these schemes to reduce, to basically offset the CO2 we've produced. So we've got a, we built a system for them that integrates with a third party who do all the calculation stuff. We don't do the calculation stuff, but we gather data. So we've got like a calculator and you can input the things you've done. So how many miles did you drive this year? How many flights did you take? How much electricity you've used? How much gas you've used? Where did it come from? All this information. And it goes off and pings their API and comes back with CO2 usage figures. 
So you can kind of gauge like how horrible of a human you are right now. Yeah. Well, it's for companies. Yeah. So it's like their, I can't think of what the word, the name of their job role would be, but their guy that does the carbon offsetting, he would, you know, have all these spreadsheets and stuff and all this data and they do it. You know, it's been going on for a long time and they do it manually and they, our client will issue them a certificate. What would they say about you driving into Bath as opposed to the train? I don't tell them. I drive a diesel as well. <laughs> yeah, I've got a diesel as well, so it's not um, amazing. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm on the lookout for an electric car. Unfortunately, I can't afford a Tesla. So uh, <laughs> that would be the one I need. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I don't mention that. But I do, I, I have put in my um, my usage figures from time to time. To test the system, yeah. What's the name? Can you tell us the name of the site so anybody listening can go in and see how see how? Uh... It's um, it's a climate action hub, and the URL is hub.naturalcapitalpartners.com. Hub.naturalcapitalpartners.com. Right. So go and check out your rating. <laughs> see, see how you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't know because it's a business thing. I don't know. Uh, oh, you can yeah. There's a simply offset option on there, so you can just do a really basic calculation. But you know, ultimately, you're you're paying for investment in this thing. So they sell these different projects at a cost per ton of CO2. So if your company has produced, I know, three thousand tons of CO2, you can pay to offset that. The money gets invested in projects, and you get a nice certificate to stick on your wall to say, "Yeah, we're nice people." Very good. So you built that in commerce, and it's just kind of primarily. It sounds like it's it's kind of a resource site that has then that purchase elements. There's some resource stuff there, and then a lot of it is kind of behind the scenes, and it's kind of more driven from them speaking to existing clients rather than you know members of the public coming along to use it. There's also, uh, we've made a white label version for them, which is used by some huge companies whose names I won't mention, and they offer as a service to their employees, and then they pay their employees sort of carbon footprint off for them, as it were. Various companies got various schemes that they might contribute to it or they'll pay the whole thing or it comes out of another allowance or something like that. I'm familiar with uh, two websites that you all have in-house, one of them that you've taken on from somebody else um, and has come to you and, and that you're maintaining and another one that you've built. Um, so that one is tileflare.co.uk. Tell me about those. Like we're talking about the sense that every e-commerce site and craft is unique. What about uh, Tileflare? Is, oh yes, is <laughs> interesting. Yeah, well, there are a number of interesting things with Tileflare. Well, give me the background real quick. So tell us what Tileflare is. What are they selling? Okay, Tileflare they they sell tiles. So bathroom <laughs> tiles, floor tiles, wall tiles, kitchen tiles with a flare. With a flare, yeah. They've got a number of um, stores around the country. They're not a massive company, I don't think, but they're not a, a small company by any means. There are bigger tile sellers, but Tile Flare have the flair, as it were. So, <laughs> so they came to us, I think it was via another agency that we know, who are based near us, who did their previous site. And I think that agency are kind of moving away from web development or they're, they're moving into sort of other sectors, I believe. It came to us and we pitched for the job against a lot of people pitching WordPress and things like that, and WooCommerce and Magento and other platforms. And uh, we went in with Craft Commerce. Sometimes a bit of a challenging sell because nobody knows what it is. <laughs> Nobody's heard of it. 
But I think partly what swung it was I knocked up a demo store for them in about an hour for my colleague to present. And they really liked the control panel and liked that we'd been able to do something so quickly. I will stress that was about a year before the development finished. <laughs> so, yeah, we knocked it up in an hour and then spent a year redoing you know, building it properly. So that's got a number of um, sort of integrations with other services. Uh, so they've got um, their ERP, which handles all the stuff from the stores as well as their online sales. So order data gets posted into that. Stock data comes back from that to the site. We built a custom plugin that will... It gets triggered every morning and it gets product data and updates the product data. And then there's another one runs every sort of 20 minutes or so that, that updates some other clearance items and things like that, because it all has to work with the stores as well. So they might have, you know, we've got a thousand of these tiles left. They're on clearance, but they're actually in a store. So someone could walk in off the street and buy them, but they're also on the website. So once they're sold in the store, that goes into their ERP and the ERP knows. And then when the site polls the next time within 20 minutes or so, and it will have updated and said, no, those are no longer available and it takes them off sale. So, you know, it's kind of a, a live dynamic stock list. Yeah, it's, it's pretty slick. And that's a common problem for retailers who have in-store locations is, is how to keep track of stock and, and to do it in an automated way. Um, is a real win for people. Yeah, well, it's and the great thing is it wasn't that hard to do. We got some documentation for the ERP. I've never even seen it. I've never logged into the system. I've never seen it on a screen, but we were able to build something that talks to it, which surprised me. <laughs> now, which is great, and it seems to work pretty well. It's been working okay at the moment. There've been a few little hiccups along the way. You know, there are. I think you were asking for e-commerce horror stories the other day. There were, we had a couple of things where orders weren't going in, but we got to the bottom of that and sorted it out. That part of the system works fine. So there's also an integration with Yotpo, who are kind of a social media aggregation review service kind of thing. Yeah, very familiar with it. I wasn't familiar with it before this, but we wrote, uh, to be honest, it's a pretty basic plugin. It just sends order data to Yotpo. And the other bits of Yotpo on the site are just being integrated via widgets at the moment. So that's all working. And we had a hiccup with that as well, which I fixed yesterday. <laughs> fixed a couple of days ago. Let me ask you a couple of questions on that. So what's common in the craft world, right? So everything, there, there aren't a bunch of plugins right now in the ecosystem. So when, when people are shopping around and they're comparing, you know, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, you know, one of the things that, that a lot of times they look at is, well, what integrations do we need and do certain plugins or add-ons or whatever the, the system calls those integrations, do they exist? How do they work? All that stuff. So right now, like we've had several leads where it ended up where craft commerce wasn't going to be necessarily a good fit because they just fit the off-the-shelf systems, you know, and it's like, that's what you should do. You know, I encourage them. No, you should go that way because they're needing these custom integrations that are already built in other ones, yeah, other yeah. systems. And that would have just eaten their budget in an unnecessary way. But Yachtpo being one of them, and one of the cases where being one of the one of the many, right? So it wasn't just the deal breaker. But I remember that conversation of maybe some someday somebody's going to build it and uh, it'll be available. And just generally speaking, for craft commerce, like that's going to happen over the years. Like I think both with craft and craft commerce, we're in the plugin building phase. Yeah, definitely. Where 
different agencies, your agency, other agencies are having these client projects that are going to lead to plugin development that then they'll make commercial available in the plugin store. Yeah, that's absolutely the case that those things don't exist now, but someone can make them. And as time goes on, more and more will become available. Like the plugins that I've written for our sites, they tend to be quite niche and specific to that site, but they can be adapted for other clients if need be. We haven't published anything to the plugin store necessarily because they're not flexible enough to be able to do that. And it would involve a fair bit of extra work for us to do it. It's something that you know we've talked about and maybe will do in future. But then you get into support and things like that. And we're not, we haven't really got the resources at the moment to manage that. So ours tend to be niche, but they're kind of easy to adapt to other things if we need to. Yeah, one of the other integrations working on the Tileflare site is integrates with um, a digital asset management system called Tandem Vault, which we didn't do that. We outsourced that one to uh, Fred Carlson at Superbig. Yes. Yeah, he's written all okay. the plugins. If you go to his, <laughs> if you need a plugin, talk to Fred. I, I think he's working on something for Yoppo, actually. I think he may have mentioned to me. If you need it, he's working on it, basically. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I love Fred. I met Fred at Dot All the first time, and yeah, I just enjoyed him thoroughly. Yeah, he's he's great, and he did a really good job with this as well for us. So, uh, thank you very much, Fred. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but that lets the our client hook into their Tandem Vault setup when they want to put a product image in to a, a product entry. They can click a button, they get a window, and it browses their Tandem Vault installation. They choose which image they want and it imports them across and creates assets for them on the site. We didn't want to keep the connection in case something changed at Tandem Vault. So it imports the asset, creates an asset within Craft, and they've got the image there to use. And it's super easy. So in this build, you said it took a year. It took a long time. There weren't any real problems. There was just quite a lot to do. And there are some complexities involved in pricing and how pricing works for tiles. They price everything to four decimal places which doesn't work particularly well sometimes because you're trying to work out areas and things like that and the but then you've got to round, you know we, you have all these issues with rounding here and there and we ran into a few problems along those lines but it's all sort of been ironed out and we've got some reporting stuff going on in the background that needed doing and you know the integrations with their erp and yopo and there's another one as well i can't remember something else and also getting all the data in from their current site, their old site. That was oh, uh, man. that took time. Yeah, because um, you know you're looking at fifteen hundred SKUs, and there's a lot of data for each one. And the main challenge was because their old site was a bespoke system. I think it was based on WordPress. Looking at the database tables, it looked like it was based on WordPress, but there was a whole custom layer of Zen stuff over the top of it. So just extracting that data and turn it into a format i could then use i think i use yeah feed me to import the data and get it all correct within craft that took time as well so it's, it was a long process but it was i think the site works good yeah for an enterprise i mean because that's that's a real enterprise solution that you're building you know so and for kind of taking something of that volume and with the history that it has like migrating is <laughs> I mean, it's gotten easier, 
you know, I think, but it's always, it's more the QA of it too. And just kind of verifying that it's, that's all there and kind of the right way and the inventory of it. Well, I, th- I think where we are now is we've got, yeah, we've made some improvements over their old site. Um, there are things that they couldn't do before or didn't have before that they now do, but we've also got a plan for adding extra stuff going forward and having the platform of craft and commerce and it being so extensible that we know where we're going with that and we can add this over time. So more curveballs come up as you go along, but we can work with them. So it's good. It's nice. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Whenever you then like have conversations for being in the UK and having to more directly face GDPR. Yeah. So is that something that comes up in the conversations, especially with even with your e-commerce clients? Oh, I've never heard of it. No, I have. I'll joke it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we offer some advice on that, but it does really need to be looked at from a business-to-business point of view. There's obviously the legal aspect to it means that we don't really want to say, do this, do that. It's a big picture. It's not just cookies on your website. So I think the, the cut and thrust, you know, is if you're not being... A dick about it for to, am i allowed to say that <laughs> sorry <laughs> you can you can absolutely say that okay well if, if you're not being a dick about what you're doing with data then you're generally okay and if you can show good intent that you're not trying to deceive people and you're trying to comply then the ico or whoever comes breathing down your neck will be understanding but obviously that's just me saying that so we had a conversation with someone at the ico just before gdpr went live and they themselves weren't 100% clear on what it would all mean. So, Which is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so they basically said, follow what we do as long as you can show you're taking steps in the right direction. So it works. Basically, you need to get consent for things. You can't necessarily assume consent. You can in some instances, but you have to really think about what you're collecting and why you're collecting it and do you really need it. So don't try and hide things. Just be upfront with people and you should be okay. I wish we'd actually employ GDPR in the US. And the reasons why is like, and tell me if you think this is right or not. If you're selling to the EU, you should have. <laughs> you should be complying with it. Well, that's true, right? So like obviously depending on where the audience is for the site, no matter where you're building it from, uh, it's more about the audience. And But I mean, just even for US companies and selling to US, US audience, I like GDPR, at least from not having to deal with it on a completely regular basis Yeah, yeah. Um, on a technical side of it, but, but the concept of it, right? Like I, from what I know of it and, you know, all the stuff that came out, like I, even with what you said, I can get behind because I, to me, it, it seems to at least push people toward being a bit more moral, you know? Yeah. You, you just got to um, be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Just human, you know, yeah. like, um, and not like sleazy or like, you know, the worst side of human. That's kind of it. I think the the problem though, is that there are gray areas over what does this come under? How do I deal with this? Like abandoned cart notifications, for instance. Exactly. Now, in theory, you should have to get consent to send an abandoned cart notification, but that's obviously not going to work so, unless the customer's already registered with you. But then there's a an argument that, well, this is a sort of legitimate use in pursuit of my business. And as long as I give them a way to opt out, 
and to unsubscribe from the emails and things like that, then it's okay. I haven't been able to really get a clear answer on it. It's kind of, well, we advise the clients, this is what you, know, you need to be think about, and then they can make a decision on how they want to proceed with that. So we should do an interesting test and go to some of the larger e-commerce businesses that operate in Europe Yeah, and go and add things to our carts and not purchase them Yeah, and just see what happens. Well, I think a, a lot of people are scared, were scared by it and just took all that stuff off. Yeah, I talked to some people at .all who, because in my talk I addressed it, and some people, they came up and said they had taken it off too, like of their sites. Yeah. I knew about this, but I was working on some abandoned cart stuff a couple of days ago, and it, I just suddenly started thinking about it. I thought, well, does this need permission? And it, when you, it's like a rabbit hole. When you start thinking about it, you kind of venture off down and start Googling things and looking things up. And it's like, well, who do I, who do I believe? <laughs> you can look at it from different ways, and there's different takes on it. So I think my personal guidance, and I'm not a lawyer in any way, is don't be a dick. <laughs> you have it right there. <laughs> exactly, which can include, you, my thought of that is in, if somebody has shown intent to want to purchase a product, they've added to the cart, they've gone so far as to give you their email address because you need those things, right? You need an email address and the intent added to cart. So they essentially have walked into your store, told you who they are and said, I'm interested in this product. Yeah, but just telling you who they are, is that giving you consent to talk to them? uh or to tell them that this product still is there yeah but like if someone comes into your store and they pick something up off the shelf and look at it and then put it down and walk out do you then run out after them and shout hey you didn't buy this would you like to buy this but adding in the step they filled out a card on their way out <laughs> that okay, said, here's yeah. my email address yeah maybe there is an argument there to me the, the presence of the email address and them and submitting the email address and the way that you get the email address on the site, I think, is an important piece. If you just like, if you're kind of sleazy about how you got that email address, then obviously that matters. Yeah. But yeah. if you're saying, like, hey, somebody adds a thing to their cart, and then this is why I advocate for just getting the email address for the first step of the checkout process, uh-huh. and you make clear when you're getting that email address, it's not just like a label that says email address. You know, it's really a question of like, so where can we communicate with you about this order? Actually, yeah, that's a good idea. I was just thinking that we've got, on Tileflare, we've got the email address as the first thing in the checkout. I think it just it's just labeled, what's your email address? So maybe if we change that to, how can we get in touch with you? Exactly. Because that's the reason why you need the email address. You need the email address specifically for communicating to them about what's in their cart. And the order, I mean, it's an incomplete order when it's in their cart, so it's still starting an order process yeah yeah that they don't complete so so it's basically yeah if you give that label how can we get in touch with you about this order or something to that effect of when they're submitting their email address it's not just them there's more direction to me in that context of that's what you've said you've said this email address is so that we can contact you about this thing and if you know if you happen to leave you've already agreed you've given us permission to contact you about this thing by giving us your email address by the way the question was asked to me, that's not sleazy. And also it matters in how you follow up with it to make sure that your emails. Yeah. Send. So in the email, you need to give them the opportunity to say, you know, stop bothering me. Yeah. And that your content of the email is about the order. 
that you're not like, oh, we have a flash sale. And they're like, what the? Yeah, it's n- it's not a carte blanche to just spam them with special offers and all sorts of things. I've just remembered I used to work in a in a real shop when I was a teenager, and I worked for a guy, and he would run out after customers and chase them down the street to ask if they wanted to buy. <laughs> it's a real life example <laughs> yeah genuinely he would do that he would go out after them if they left the store without buying something he would go out and talk like what are you doing <laughs> so he he invented the abandoned cart recovery idea he was the abandoned cart recovery personified and probably also led to the introduction of gdpr <laughs> that's amazing so and obviously, I'm not, you know, I don't legal advice and I'm in the US. So I, I don't know if I even have like the cultural perspective, you know, um, I'm not, you know, European through and through in the sense of like, you know, thinking through those things. Yeah, I don't know if it's a European thing, is it? It's it's something that, that's been implemented by the EU, but I don't think it's necessarily a European trait. From our side of the pond, it would seem that the US would be more concerned with privacy and... Oh, we don't care. No. <laughs> Well, I think that's no. We find. just you, you probably find that here as well. That you know, generally people say, oh, "What's the fuss all about?" But then they'll they will complain when they receive you know a hundred spam emails every morning. But the connection isn't there. You know, it's kind of. I'm just not sure here in the U.S. There's a mentality that like people we talk about privacy, but I'm not sure there's an assumption that like people feel like they have a right to not be bothered. You know? Yeah. And so people just understand. Yeah, businesses are just working hard. They do what they can do. Like, it's your fault if you buy something. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that, yeah, that's fine. And, and that's kind of how GDPR works. If someone buys something from you, you've got a connection with them. But you need to have said, you know, we're going to keep your data for six months, a year or whatever. We might use it for this, that and the other. As long as you said what you're going to do with it and not like say, well, we're going to collect this to send you offers and then sell the data to I was going to say Facebook, but they probably already got it anyway. So, you know, and then sell the data on or use it for something you haven't said you're going to use it for. That That's the thing. And it all comes down to that, like you're saying, be moral. By all means, collect the data, but tell them what you're collecting. Tell them why you're collecting it. Tell them what you're going to do with it or make that information available somewhere on the site. And generally, if you're going to use it for marketing, you need to have clear consent of them opting in to receive marketing information. But I don't know. Abandoned carts tread that line. That's how you do it. It's possible. Yeah, they tread that line between is it marketing activities or is it just legitimate use? I'm following up on this. And the way we frame the email that gets sent out, we're actually still testing this at the moment. The way we frame the email that gets sent out for Tileflare is it's a question asking, did something go wrong? We're inquiring as to whether there was a problem during the checkout rather than, you know, oh, you didn't buy something, come and buy something. So I think it's how you word it and how you frame that abandoned cart email that matters. Some people would say that that's a fake question. Well, it isn't because that's the, we are genuinely asking them because, oh, yeah, well, did the checkout break? <laughs> Why couldn't you check out? What happened? But yeah, well, I guess you could see it like that. Yeah. But if that's not your intent, then yes, that's the thing where it's like it, people, it's hard to read motives, but I trust you. So <laughs> I, do it. I still think there's a distinct cultural difference between, and forgive me if I'm kind of lumping all the amazing and unique European countries together as a, one culture in the EU. Yeah. Um, but it is true that, for, for example, recently 
I, and I say this to say that Americans don't really care about privacy. The fact that we still use Facebook um, heavily and that recently Facebook actually has lost like a million active users in Europe. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of them. <laughs> oh, so you're one of so as a, a studyable group, right? An identifiable group. Yeah. For example, Facebook known for not always protecting privacy, that Europeans are actually making a move that Americans aren't. So I think that there's a distinction of like how y'all view things. So what was your problem with Facebook? Just the content I was seeing because of, I, I, I don't want to get into politics yet because of Brexit. <laughs> okay, okay. Because of Brexit, because of nationalism, I'm pretty much left of center. Yeah. And I'm just tired of seeing it, really. <laughs> I hear you. Know, you. Just the things people are posting, and I'm just not interested anymore. I really don't care what you think. <laughs> it's not. Give me my psychedelic rock and leave me yeah, alone. It's not the real world. And the fact that I don't know if it's because of what I do, I understand how that is being manipulated to promote an agenda or can be used to promote an agenda so yeah that's kind of i've just had enough of it <laughs> oh, well i've still got an account but i oh so you know what you officially don't count you don't count in that million i don't count no you're right it's true i still have an account because i don't want to miss out on things <laughs> ah you have fomo yeah well my, all my, my family um all use it and and i'm not particularly close to my family they don't live near me or anything like that um so occasionally i'll pop in and look at some things and go yeah okay and then sign out again i don't miss it at all to be honest i'm, I'm much more twitter focused <laughs> yeah it's a love hate man facebook is hard i know <laughs> yeah because it's the same thing it's like it's little family reunions and little moments that you don't get. It's like, you know, people still will post pictures there. And I do miss the days of Facebook when people actually shared their things and not just articles about somebody else's thoughts. And yeah, when, when you've got people, friends and family or whatever posting basically nonsense published by the English defense league and things like that, you're just kind of, Oh no, I really don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> really don't need this in my life. Why are you doing this? I went through in Facebook during, so it was the last election here in the US. Um, during that time, I went through Facebook and just forced to like unfollow news agencies, even ones that I, I will read. I didn't want to see it though in my Facebook feed. Like I wanted to control my media intake. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you go to Facebook, you never know what you're going to see. I just unfollowed all the, even the ones I like, but then I also, there's thankfully, at least in Facebook, a way if somebody else shares an article from a certain URL, you can go in and say, I don't want to see content from this site. And so that's what kind of then got me to not see. Yeah. So I just spent, I mean, it's probably a good week of just really focusing on like filtering out stuff. So all I see all was family stuff. And all of a sudden I did start to see things I would never see because I would never have the time to like go through the wall, you know, my, my, my feed long enough to like see stuff. And it became a little bit more pleasant. It's starting to change again. I don't know what's happening. Like starting to just become blah again. But election time, isn't it? Oh, I guess so, man. <laughs> well, so y'all have any work coming up or any curtain stuff that you're working on? Yeah, I'm actually doing another tile site. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening and you're a tile company, that's what I do. Yeah, that's what I do. It's a different kind of thing, though. They're a manufacturer of tiles, uh, handmade 
sort of hand painted things. So we're doing that one in Craft Three with Commerce Two. Up to now, we've we've stuck with Craft Two and Commerce One because, like I said, we started the project a long time ago, and Craft Two being, in fact, it wasn't even available when we when we started. So yeah, it's kind of a new thing. I'm really liking it. Haven't got too far into that project yet, but it's going okay so far. And we've got a bunch of stuff going on. There are some things I'm not entirely familiar, you know, <laughs> because we're remote. I know people are working on things and kind of can see stuff happening, but I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of that project at the time. So um, there are a few things going on at the moment. We've just paused an upgrade we were doing on an expression engine cartthrob site to get that up to E4. It's the wrong time of year to be doing it. So <laughs> we're going to revisit that back in, in January, I think. And then we've got some interesting projects that we've pitched for that if one of those comes off, that's going to be a really cool thing for us. There is a commerce aspect to it, I think. Yeah, there will be a commerce aspect to it, but it's going to be kind of new and interesting ground for us to do. I can't say too much more about it, but it'll be really nice if we get it. <laughs> be a good one. <laughs> Oh, we look forward to that. So, so some reason to, um, so we wanted to kind of track if there's, uh, some activity on that, however long it takes, like, where's the best place to, uh, you'll see me asking questions on how to do things in Slack. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be quite interesting. We're looking at maybe doing that as a headless thing. So using CraftQL, I sat in on some talks at all, which made me think yeah that'd be really cool to do like that so headless commerce headless e-commerce is definitely yeah uh something that people are it's at the front end of that right so people are are really interested in especially big commerce made their big release about uh going that direction this one will be um ticket sales and stuff like that i think there'll be some ticket sales involved so it's an interesting project as well because it's a, a virtual thing rather than a physical item so yeah hopefully We'll get that one. And I think we, we've actually just done a very small project for another large company, uh, European company. That doesn't involve commerce at the moment. I don't know where, where that's going to go. But hopefully that's going to lead to a bigger project because we'll have done this one nicely for them. So they'll be happy and they'll give us more work. And uh, we've just finished converting another expression engine cartthrob site across to craft and commerce. Talking about niche projects, that's a... Uh, Another niche thing, uh, selling Argus, <laughs> big ovens, <laughs> stove, big stoves. Um, they're not just Argus, other things like Argus, other brands as well. There are some really complex issues involved in doing that because they're kind of modular and they have mixed skews and stuff. And it's so we've taken their, their old site and basically built an updated version for them in commerce. But there's more to do with that. We can go further with it now. We can do more for them. So we're talking to them at the moment about the things that we could do with regards to allowing people to mix and match and they can properly use SKUs on the site, which they haven't done in the past. But those things, you know, you're looking like £15,000 a pop. <laughs> it's amazing what people will buy online. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Well, hey, Pete, man, it's been great chatting with you. It's been, th thanks for sharing uh, what you experience two or three times a day when you ride in. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> kind of get a sense of that. And so, you know, be nice to the tourists because I might be one of them one day. Yeah, well, come and visit. Come and visit. Bath's a really nice, nice city. It's an interesting city. It's very pretty. And Gloucester's got positives as well. <laughs> <laughs> the cathedral's really nice. My impression. So clearly, so I, I said it's pretty and you're like, eh. So I clearly looked at the best pictures online. <laughs> Maybe. I'm I'm jaded. I've lived here for 20-something years now, 20 years or so. I'm originally from Cardiff in Wales. It may just be that anything with history... Well, that's the thing. The cathedral, the site of the cathedral was originally developed in something like 1060 or something like that. It's pretty old, you know? <laughs> And the cathedral as it is now is incredible. Um, an interesting fact about it, if you go down into the crypt of the cathedral, you can see the pillars that are holding it all up. It's a huge cathedral. And some of them are deformed where the cathedral's so heavy it squashed them down. The original people that built these crypt things, they well, they built the pillars really thin, so it was never going to hold all this stone up. So someone came along afterwards and built bigger pillars around them. And that you can see where it's actually compressed stone. So, you know, it squashed the stone down. And they've also built uh, like arches that didn't have a keystone in. So there's no way they could support anything. And you can see someone's come along afterwards, sort of 16th century cowboy builders or something have come along and repaired it and patched it. And then someone's built a proper archway. So if ever you come to Gloucester, I would advise going to visit the cathedral. It's very interesting. Well, I will certainly do that. <laughs> I'll certainly do that. Well, hey, again, I, I appreciate it. We'll see you around in Slack. Yeah. Thank you very much for talking to me. Hey, and thank you for joining us in this episode of Commerce Minded. If you like the show, if you're into it, and I would love for you to to join the uh, email list, fostercommerce.com slash podcast, um, so you can get all the updates. And also, I guess if you like us, then as always, I would love a review or rating on, on iTunes. Again, our goal is to just try to reach people outside of the current craft community world and just to spread awareness of this amazing platform and just get other people uh, engaged. So that's it. See you next time.